I couldn't resist. That was great. By the way, the donut kids are my kids. Yes, I bribed them to come to church, okay? So uh, those, my friends, are some of our next generations that are a part of, of Trace Church. And I don't know if you could hear them really well, but, but some of their answers were pretty insightful. I don't know if it's insightful based on what they're learning or what we're teaching them, uh, but, but very insightful. And that's actually one of the, my favorite things that I get to do here at Trace Church. By the way, my name is Corey Bullock, and I'm, uh, I'm one of the teaching pastors here. Uh, but I also get to oversee Next Generation. Uh, which includes our kids and our students. Daisha oversees the kids, and, and I get an opportunity every week on Sunday nights just to hang out with our students. We actually have a, a student section up here a little bit, so whoop, whoop, all right, students up here. But uh, every week I get to hear some of their insights and the things that they're learning and things that they're going through, and it's just incredible. And, and sometimes all it takes is the, the right question in the right setting and, and that we would keep our ears open and our eyes peeled, and, and it would be amazing to what, what we can understand about our next generation. You know, speaking of, of eyes, um, I haven't always worn glasses. Uh, matter of fact, when I was a little younger, um, my, my, young, my older brother, rather, um, wore glasses, and he wore, like, really, really thick like, Coke bottle glasses, and I always made fun of him. Uh, the ir- irony of this is he's since gotten LASIK surgery, and he doesn't have to wear them anymore, and I do now. Um, but uh, it wasn't until I was in college uh, that I came home, and uh, when I came home, my, my mom saw me squinting at uh, the screen. And uh, the television screen, and she said, "Let's let's go to the eye doctor." And and I don't know about you all, but um, I have never enjoyed going to the eye doctor. Uh, you, you go there, you, you you take this test, you have to look at the chart, and you feel like you're failing if you can't read the next line, and, you know. And then they blow in your eye really hard, and it's like this is this is terrible. I don't like going here. But this time when I went to the eye doctor, I I didn't have to do any of those tests. Matter of fact, uh, I just sat in the chair, and um, and the doctor came in, and he started putting these lenses, this contraption on me, and he simply asked me. Uh, a question. He said, one or two? One or two? Some of you are shaking your heads. You all have done this before, okay, right? And, and, and all I had to do was give him the answer, which one like worked better for me? And he kept doing this in until he got these lenses dialed in for me. And then all of a sudden, something happened. W- what happened was, is he took the lenses away from my eyes, and I'm there staring at that chart that's over here that I was looking at through the lenses a minute ago. And, and it was at that moment that I realized how blind I was, all right? See, it wasn't until I had the proper lenses on my, my eyes that I was able to focus in and be able to see all that I had been missing. And, and that's kind of the case with lenses, right? Uh, lenses help you to focus in and be able to see the things that you might be missing. And so it is my hope today uh, that I can put some lenses on you. Uh, one of three lenses, as Aaron talked about, over the next couple of weeks that we're going to look at, but we want to be able to see clearly what we might be missing. And, and as we talk about and focus in on the next generation and the plight of the next generation, I think there are going to be some things that you see that you might, didn't, you might not have realized ahead of time, and we're going to open your eyes to that today. All right, I got a question for you real quick, all right? A show of hands, uh, how many of you uh, were a kid one time in your life? Anybody? Okay, yes, 100% participation. That is good, all right? Love that, audience participation. So uh, those of you all that are kids in the room are looking at your parents like, I don't believe you were actually a kid one time, right? But I, I assure you it was the case. Uh, now, for those of you all that are uh, listening online or those of you all that are in the room right now, um, you would have been at that moment the next generation, okay? But you are no longer the next generation. That's actually how next generations work, See, the, the window is small and the time is short. You are in it for a little while and then you are out of it and then you are no longer the next generation anymore. Matter of fact, that window might be smaller than what any of us would actually care to know or, or, or want to imagine. 
I, I was actually at a conference uh, a couple weeks back, and I got to hear this guy, uh, Matt Chandler, and he was talking to a bunch of pastors and church planters, and, and he gave this illustration, and, and this insight, it really kind of stuck with me. He was talking about those of us who have entered the ministry. He said, you know, uh, really, um, those of you all that are in the ministry, you only have 40 years of effective, uh, focused efforts. And so how are you going to spend that limited time? How are you going to spend your 40 and that got me thinking a little bit. I, I've been in ministry uh, now for a little bit over 10 years, and so I'm, I'm already down by 10, you know? And, and I don't know if you saw Aaron up here or not, but he's got a bunch of gray in his beard. And so he, I think he's less than I am, all right? So he's got less time than I have. But what that does is it, it all of a sudden, it puts a time frame on it, and it allows you to focus in and go, all right, what am I going to do with this time that I have? Now, I, I, would, I would venture to say this is true. Um, our next generation is in the same category as what I just explained about our ministry years. And, and their time is actually a lot shorter than 40 years. Let's say 20 years, okay? We'll say 20 years is what you have to have that next generation in your house. Now, y- those of you all that have kids in your home, you all understand that you probably only have about 10 of those that they'll actually listen to you, okay? Um, but but the, it is t- the time is short. The window is small. And for those of us that do have kids, uh, sometimes we get, we get hurried a little bit. Sometimes we find ourselves thinking, man, I just wish we could get through that phase. I, I wish this stage of life would be over. You know, I, when, when is my kid going to sleep through the night? Uh, when are they going to stop peeing the bed? You know, when can they make their own peanut butter and jelly sandwich or drive themselves to school or keep their rooms clean? And that may never happen, okay? But, but the rest of those phases, they will come and they will go. And our next generation will no longer be a next generation anymore. Guys, because of that time limit, um, the one thing today that we're going to talk about is this. Kids matter more than adults. Okay? Kids matter more than adults. Now, when I first heard that statement, I I wanted to argue it. Uh, maybe it's because uh, I'm, I'm not a kid anymore. Uh, uh, maybe it's because I heard a value statement spoken there. Um, but the more I've processed through this and the more I've studied it, the more I've researched it, the more I've hung out with the next generation, the more I realize that this statement is actually very true. And it's not necessarily a, a statement of value as much as it is a statement of priority. And I think that that's actually what Jesus had in mind when, when he said this to his disciples. He was trying to, to bring them in, rally them in. They're having this conversation about who's the greatest in the kingdom of God. And then Jesus took a little child whom he placed among them. And taking the child in his arms, and I can only imagine having three kids of my own, that he just he picked this kid up and, and lifted him up and looked in his eyes and, and maybe saddled him on his, on his side for a minute. And, and he just continues to look at this kid while he's talking to the disciples. And he says, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. You see what Jesus just said there? He not only gave value to that kid, he gave prioritization to that kid. He was trying to, to help refocus his disciples on what was truly important. And he did it by focusing them on the next generation, literally lifting up the next generation for them to see the importance of what was going on at that moment. He wanted to remind them that these kids are precious to him, that they are made in his image, that they matter to Jesus. And if they matter to Jesus, then they should matter to us as well. 
Now, just in case Jesus is not enough to convince you um, that kids matter more than adults, uh, I want to share this statistic with you that, that might convince you of this. Here it is. 83% of all Christians make their commitment to Jesus between ages 4 and 14. 83% of everybody who ends up calling themselves a Christian say that they've made a decision to Christ between the ages of 4 and 14. Guys, let that soak in for a minute. What this means is that unless somebody has been exposed to and decides to actually act on Jesus before they enter into high school, the probability is that they never will follow him. Guys, this is a short window that we're dealing with. And, and we need to understand how precious our kids are and how much they need us to get involved and engage with them at this moment right now. That should convince us, guys, that kids matter more than adults. Just another statistic that I found as well. 95% of all people who call themselves Christians uh, receive Jesus before age 30, okay? So if, if you're over 30 and you've not accepted Jesus right now, um, the odds are not in your favor, okay? Um, but, but God is big, and you can still be a part of that 5%, and we want you to be. Now, here's the deal. The only thing that might be more eye-opening than fully understanding the, the time frame that we are in with our significant influence with the next generation uh, might be this. How, how many of our next generation are actually falling away from the faith, or at least the church, after they leave our homes. Lifeway research suggests that 70% of young adults who, previously in, who were previously involved in the church dropped out of the church. 70%. Uh, now, that doesn't mean that they don't ever come back, but when they leave our homes, they drop out of their faith and they drop out of the church. Matter of fact, uh, one of the fastest growing demographics in our society is a, is a religious one, or rather an irreligious one. When, when asked on forms what religious affiliation that they would choose, um, people are choosing the box none. No religious affiliation in greater amounts than ever has been seen before. And what you need to know about this is there's books and studies that are written. The Rise of the Nun is one of those. We've been reading that as a team. And you know, really, some of our philosophies are shaped on this. Okay, But, but this is what you need to know. Our next generation... Um, they are the ones that are making up a good population of those who are no longer affiliated with religion, no longer affiliated with church, might not even be affiliated with, with faith, okay? And the question we have to ask ourselves is this, and we have to be responsible for it as well. Why? Why, why is the next generation, why are our kids leaving their faith, abandoning their faith, dropping out of church and church activities in such astounding waves. When teenagers were asked this open-ended question, why did you fall away from the faith that you were raised in? The number one answer was this, intellectual skepticism. You know what that means? It means two things. Uh, two things. One, um, that they are not convinced that the faith that we have is, is really worth following. And second, that they have questions that are burning inside of their minds and inside of their heads. They might not have even verbalized them, but they're not being answered. They're not being answered for them. And because of that, they are finding answers elsewhere. Andy Stanley asked this question. He says, what is the faith of the next generation worth? I say everything. I say it's worth any necessary change to ensure the version of the faith of the next generation that they leave home with is an enduring version the faith of our first century fathers. 
The version that was harder than steel and tougher than nails. The version rooted in an event and not a book. Now, um, I'm going to make a statement, um, and it might be one that offends you. Please understand that it's not a flippant statement, um, but here it is. The Bible told me so is not enough for our next generation. It's just not enough. Now, guys, you all need to understand. Trust me, I, I love this book or compilation of writings, okay? Um, and, and I believe that there are power in, in its pages. And, and we, we teach this and we instruct in this and we have conversations about this with our teenagers and students. But just to say the Bible says it, I believe it, and that's the end of it, is not flying with our next generation. They, they need us to go further. They need us to go deeper. You see, Jesus requires a childlike faith. I understand that, right? But that doesn't mean that we need to send our kids out into the world in ignorance. We need to be able to equip them so that they don't have intellectual skepticism. They have a founded faith that is their own faith. They have owned their faith. We talked about this last week. Uh, We at Trace want to own our faith. But what that requires is some of you guys may have never personally owned your faith. You've never questioned it. You've never challenged it. You never. You, you just accepted it because it was what you grew up in. But but you have to have that pivotal conversation, and we need to have that pivotal conversation with the youth that are in our homes. Matter of fact, I remember um, in seventh grade I had a, a faith owning experience of my own. I, I grew up in a Christian home with with parents who stayed together and, and loved Jesus, and they're a good example. Um, but I remember in seventh grade. Um, having a question burning in my mind, do I really believe this is all true? Or have I just accepted it because it's what I know? I mean, honestly, like I literally had this, this image in my mind. is like, do I just really want to believe in Jesus like I really wanted to believe in Santa Claus? You know, or is he really a, a, a true being? And can I really follow after him? And, and I remembered having a youth pastor who was open and available. And I, and I asked him that question. It's like, how do you know it's all true? And and I remember that he gave me space to process. And he asked me some questions to help me direct that process. And and ultimately, over the next several years, I was able to ask questions and and seek things out so that that I could figure out what it was that I actually believed. And you know, I I don't believe that Jesus is, is Lord because my parents told me so. Now, I don't believe that he's a savior because the Bible tells me so. I believe that Jesus saved me because I've had a personal experience with him and because I've researched it and, and I've looked at the other religions and he is the most logical conclusion that I can come to. And that is a faith-owning experience that I had that, that puts me in this position today. Perry Noble says it this way, I believe the next generation is not content with borrowing the faith of their parents. They are asking questions and seeking to understand what they believe and why they believe it. But catch this, and them doing so them doing that is going to equip them to take the church to the next level. Guys, if we don't actually demonstrate our faith, if we don't voice our doubts and our struggles that we have, then our kids are going to get an unrealistic view of what it actually looks like to follow Jesus. But if we give our kids space to process and direction to do so, we invite them to ask questions why they're still in our home, We tell them to seek truth with all their hearts and not to settle for anything less than that. If we make the next generation one of our chief focuses, we look at that lens and we understand that kids matter more than adults. Guys, our kids 
the next generation will have a new movement of faith that will not be rivaled. Because those kids that are doing that and they're owning their faith here and now are doing some incredible things. They're not the church of the future, guys. They are the church of today. And we're shaping it right here, right now. And here's the crazy thing. You have much more influence than you could ever think or imagine. These kids actually want to hear from you. They want to be known by you. They want you to speak into their life. And so our mission here at Trace is to leave a trace of God's love everywhere we go. If all of this is true, the lens that we must carry must make our next generations one of the primary places that we do this. Okay, it must be. And so I'm going to speak to all of us, but for just a moment, I want to speak to those of you all that are parents with kids that would be in, in your reign of influence right now, okay, uh, for just a little bit. And, and, and here's what you need to know. Discipleship happens best in the home. It does. This is not a, a catchy cliche. This is the honest truth. And if they're getting a, a, a variation of faith that is different when they come here than they are when they go home, it's going to be confusing to them. Okay? But if it's consistent, they're going to walk away from your home with something that is founded, that is secure. And guess what? They want to hear from you. They want you to lead them. Parents are actually the single most important influence on the spiritual lives of adolescents, not church leaders, not pastors, not programs. When asked who or what shapes their attitudes and actions, catch this, guys, 78%, 78% of all kids said it was their parents. 78% said that they wanted to hear from their mama and their daddy on stuff. Now, raise your hands here real quick if you think that the other 22% lives in your house, right? Yeah, okay. I'm telling you, the percentage says that they want to hear from you. They want to hear from you. I, I got to tell you, I'm so thankful to have the, the wife that I have for so many reasons, but one of the reasons is because she won't let me settle for being an okay dad. I, I honestly, I have, I have trouble focusing. I have trouble prioritizing. Um, I, I get caught up in things all the time, and she constantly is making me aware of, of the fact that I've got kids and that they're growing up, and, and I need to be engaged in their lives. As a matter of fact, a couple years ago, uh, I had a situation, I had a conflict um, going on in my life. I was, I was pursuing a master's degree um, at the same time that we were uh, launching a new campus, at the same time that we were moving, at the same time that we were having a new baby, uh, at the same time, I was trying to preserve my marriage. So um, I had a lot going on. And, um, and this master's degree kept looming over my head. And, and it was really a conflict. And I, I didn't want to stop because it, mean, it would mean that I was quitting. And I hate quitting. But I decided. I, I said, you know what? I'm going to say no for now. I'm going to postpone that. It doesn't mean that I can't ever go back and do it. But here's the deal. I have a window of opportunity with my kids in my home right now. I have to make sure that I'm giving you know, apt focus to those guys. Because the fact of the matter is I can always go back and get a degree later. I might not want to, all right? But uh, I, can't, I can't go back and re-raise my kids again. You know, there's a statement Andy Stanley made several years back, and it's just stuck in my head. And he said this, Your greatest contribution to the kingdom of God may not be something you do, but someone you raise. Think about that for a moment. Those kids that are in your home right now, they might actually be able to do greater things than you or I could ever do if you were only to invest in them 
the way that you want to invest in, in everybody else. Guys, kids matter more than adults. I actually, I heard of a practice here recently um, that helps parents visualize the time that they actually have with their kids while they're in the home. Uh, what you do is you take a jar kind of like this and, and you fill it up with marbles. And each one of these marbles represents one week of your child's life. And so um, for a, a child that was just born, it would be 936 marbles that you would put into a jar like this. And you can do this at your homes. If you have kids that are older than that, just subtract their age and weeks from, from your jar. And you end up with a jar like this. And this, this helps you realize that every week that passes, what you do is you take one of those marbles out of the jar. And you start to see that that jar slowly diminishes. Now, I recognize, for those of you all that are parents, this is somewhat of a morbid practice, all right? It it might cause you to be a little depressed when you see those marbles coming out. But guys, I would much rather be depressed than miss out on the opportunity that I have with the limited time that I have with my kids in my home. Mine's only seven and I'm already getting choked up. It's just, they are precious and we have precious time. Guys, we we can't let it slip through our hands. We can't let it slip through our hands. Now, it starts in the home, <clears throat> no doubt about that, okay? But, but that is not the only adult influence that your kids need in their life. They need lots of more adult points of contact. Matter of fact, uh, every kid is looking for a tribe outside of their family where they can find a place to belong. Either they'll find it somewhere on their own, or you can help them find a place that reflects your values and heart for their future. That is one of the reasons why we encourage parents to get their kids involved in the church but the church has to be ready and they have to be willing they have to be excellent at being able to love on and guide your kids while you're here and that is why the cry of our next generation focus here at trace is this helping families win it's not just about the kids but we understand that that we get to partner with you we get to partner with you in this it's it's your job god gave you those kids they're yours Okay, But we get to partner with you in this, and we're going to do that by loving on your kids while they're here with us and teaching them and instructing them and making it fun. Okay, But uh, we're also going to send you home with, with uh, things that will equip you to help you guide your kids as they want to know from you. Now, I gave you a statistic a little while ago. 70% of our next generation are leaving the church after they've left our homes. But for those that have actually stuck around in the church, they cited four main reasons why that happens. Now, some of these things we don't have any control over, okay? But some of them we do. Uh, Some of the reasons were were parents were still married and, and engaged in their faith. Okay, and that was one of the, the things. Uh, some, some of them already had a, an understanding that there was wisdom and guidance that they could seek from the church. Uh, some of them said it was because of relevant sermons that they got to hear on a Sunday, which might be true when Aaron speaks, okay? Um, and, and, but here's the one that we can actually control, all right? This is one of the things that these kids said. This was their words. At least one adult from church made a significant investment in me personally and spiritually. Guys, I'm telling you, I am where I'm at today, doing what I'm doing and who I am because of the influences that I had at a church like this. I love my parents, and they were great examples. I had a good brother um, that, that led me in so many things, but it was the points of contact that I had with the people at church that helped me really develop a passion for doing ministry. And this is something that all of us can do. There is a new study that actually shows teens who stick in church need five points of relational connection in order for them to stick around in church. It's called sticky faith. Maybe you could be one of those significant influences 
in their life. And if that's you and you have the time and you have the willingness uh, to be able to engage with us here at Trace, man, Daisha, uh, who you met earlier, you'll see her again uh, in a moment. She's our children's director. Uh, I'm the student pastor. Man, we would love the opportunity to talk with you about how you can get involved in Trace Kids or Trace Students. Now, even if you don't have kids of your own, uh, and, and if you don't have the time or desire uh, to go help out in, uh, in the kids or the student ministry, you still have an obligation and an opportunity to influence the next generation. See, oftentimes we think of our own kids in this context, but, but if we're following Jesus' example, all kids matter to him. They matter to him. They are precious to him. And that means that all of us have an obligation to be able to, to find those kids that we can influence for the next generation of our church. Now, um, think of the kids that might be in the proximity to you, okay? Kids that are already in your sphere of influence or could be. They could be related to you. They could be grandkids or they could be uh, nephews or nieces. Um, they, they could be kids that you coach or kids that you teach, they could be kids in foster care. When Daisha came up here and she talked about that earlier, we want to be a church that's engaged and partnering with parents who want to, to foster. Or, or maybe, maybe it's a, br- a big brother, big sister kind of relationship. Maybe it's a kid in your neighborhood, a little Dennis the Menace style guy, you know, that's, that's coming up and just, just wants to interact and, and needs some love, all right? Matter of fact, I remember as, as a young kid, um, there was a guy next door, and his name was Chuck, and every time he was over there, I would, I'd go knock on his door and, and ask him if he could come out and play. Now, this is what you need to know about Chuck. Uh, he, he's probably in his 30s, and I was about four or five years old, okay? And uh, it wasn't his house. It was his girlfriend's house. I didn't know that until later. Um, so he was probably coming over to visit with her. But every time I saw this car, I'd go knock on his door and be like, Chuck, can you come out and play? And, and he would. Like, I don't remember a single time that he didn't actually come out and play with me. Uh, and I've tried to, I tried to build that into my own neighboring efforts. Matter of fact, I was at the park the other day with my kids, and and uh, there were some middle schoolers over there playing football. And so, um, so I get out there and, and start throwing the ball around with them. And they're really impressed because I could throw the ball further than them, you know. And we had a great time. Um, but then uh, I went home. And, and a couple days later, I get this knock at the door. And um, there's three middle school kids standing at my door. And they, they said, uh, hey, uh, can your dad come out and play? <laughs> and, so, and so I came to the door and I said, boys, the game is on. I'm 34 years old. Let me go get my shoes. I'll be right there, you know. And, uh, and we got to play. I'm telling you, if you look around, you keep your eyes open. The next generation is dying. Dying for your influence. Let's help them live the life that is truly life. Because the stakes are too high. This is too important and the window is too small for us not to make our next generation a primary focus here at this church. So this is what we're going to do is, is I conclude our message time together today. I'm actually going to invite our next generations uh, into this room. Uh, they're going to come and make their way up the aisle. we got some students up front. You all come on up and, and fill it up. Any of you guys are middle school, high schoolers um, that came with your parents today, uh, you are welcome to make your way up here as well. I don't want you to feel uh, weird uh, or anything like that. I'm not going to ask you to do anything other than stand here, okay? Uh, but you're welcome to make your way up. Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to have them come in, and if you'll notice, uh, we have a ton of kids. Come on right here, guys, right through here. You're fine. Uh, we have a ton of kids. We've only been going, doing this for like six weeks as a church plant. We have a ton of kids. And when we tell other churches what we're doing and how many kids that we have involved in our next generations, they are just blown away by this. And that is so cool, and it's worth being celebrated. But get this, that also means that we have a much greater degree of responsibility 
that is hanging on our shoulders. These kids need us. Now, if you'll notice, some of these kids have some signs. And those signs correlate to the marbles that we were talking about earlier. They represent the weeks that these kids have left with the significant influence under our banner in our home and in our church. And so what we're going to do is, is I'm going to conclude this message by praying over these kids. And I'm going to ask that you do something a little bit different. It might be a little awkward to you. Um, when I pray, I don't want you to bow your head, close your eyes, and fold your hands, okay? That's what we have kids do in class, all right? Uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but you don't have to have your eyes closed in order for Jesus to hear from you, okay? What I'm going to ask is you would actually keep your eyes open, and this is what I want you to do it, because I want you to focus your attention on the faces of our youth. And I want you to keep them in mind as we go to our God and Father in this regard. Will you pray with me? Since my youth, God, you have taught me, and to this day I declare your marvelous deeds. Even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, my God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come. Father, I thank you for these kids. It's amazing to me that they're even as quiet as they are right now. But Father, their laughter and their voices and the pitter-patter of their feet when they're supposed to be sleeping in their beds, they're precious to us. And sometimes we miss, we miss out on that because um, we don't see clearly. And I pray that you allow us to see clearly. Father, whatever the things in our lives that we might need to say no for now, that we would do that so that we could be able to give these kids the due attention that they need. Father, I pray that you would help these kids to own their faith. Father, not just to accept and receive the faith that they have seen in us, although I pray that it would be modeled well, but for them to own it and for them to do greater things than they have seen us do or they've witnessed. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see their little personalities, the the wonderful things that they are and that they can become and let us shape those things, Father. Not in conformity to this world or what is appropriate for society, but Father, in the likeness of your son, Jesus, with the same passion and the same zeal and the same balance and fullness of truth and grace that he came in. Father, I pray that these kids would be protected, but Father, not in the ways that we understand protection. Father, that they would be guarded from the temptations of of this world and the devil throws at them. And the number one prayer that we pray for each of these kids is not that bad things wouldn't happen to them, but that they would know your son, Jesus. And through all the things that this life would throw at them, the hope that they have, the peace that they have, the joy that they have, and the confidence that they have in him would not easily fail. Lord, we love these kids. We know that you love them, and I pray that you would help us to guide them in the days to come. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.